Welcome to Safa Security Chat Chat, episode 201 for the 3rd of June, 2015, coming to you live from InfoSec Europe 2015 in London, England. And I'm here with my friend Paul Ducklin. Good to see you, Paul. Hello, Chester. This is the first time for many years that we've done a Chat Chat where we're both in the same place. Yeah, exactly. I, I, th this is going to be actually harder to edit, I think, because we're used to uh, having sort of a two-track system the way we go about things. and. We're down to only one. It's a great venue, isn't it? Earl's Court's been demolished, so we're back in Olympia. Very gorgeous Victorian structure. It is nice, and I, I think I like it a lot better than Earl's Court just because it's so bright. I mean, it's actually quite a gloomy English day. The weather's been not very summer-like here in London, yet uh, the, the, the venue is just glowing with natural light, which is probably one of the better environments. I mean, I'm stuck at conferences all the time, and it's oh, usually dear. fluorescent tan, right? You get the fluorescent constantly, and having sunlight is pretty nice. Yes. The, this year's theme is Intelligent Security, Protect, Detect, Respond, Recover. Quite a mouthful, isn't it? It reminds me a bit of my talk I was doing on the stand earlier. I was talking about kind of a coordinated defense and how important that process is, right? That you keep going around the process, that you know you do your best to stop things before before bad things happen, and then, of course, occasionally you detect that some bad thing happened, and then you remediate, and then hopefully you'll learn from it, revise the process, and start over again. I did take a walk around yesterday when it was stand building, looking for slogans that were already printed on, uh, on people's stand boards for interesting stuff, and I notice, sadly, that we still have a lot of products that are billing themselves as, we see the stuff that no one else does. Yeah, I, I've seen a bit of that, although I'm hearing a lot less shouting about it. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, there's a maturity model of this stuff, right? And, and actually, I, I looking around uh, at CBIT and RSA and some of the other large events this year, it seems to be based on the number of years a technology's been around, how realistic the pitch is about that technology, right? Here, a lot of the, the ones that I'm seeing that are saying what you're saying is all about the threat intelligence scene which is kind of a new term that was coined a few years ago and hasn't really been fleshed out yet, and therefore you can make all kinds of outrageous claims. And when you go and you look at things like antivirus, you see almost none of that nonsense going on because it's an old industry in this part of the business. And then you follow that on with firewalls, and you see very little of it because it's another very mature technology in this space. And then when you start getting closer to the other end of the spectrum and the advanced threats, you get more of the lighting hair on fire and nonsense, and then once you go off into threat intelligence territory, we just hope you'll come back and left a cookie crumb trail. Yes, when I see, we see things that no one else does, my first response is, how do you know? And my second response is, that sounds like the basis of many horror movie plots. Yes, I think you might want to see a doctor. <laughs> so, you were arguing earlier, and I have to agree that since I didn't start the chat chat counting scheme correctly at zero, and I began at one, that we could argue that for our uh, joint episode in the same city, that this is actually number 200, which thank you to many of you listeners for dropping us a note or stopping by at some of the shows to say hi uh, and congratulate us on 200, because it, it's a surprising amount of work to do this every week. I had uh, a bunch of people stop by at the stand uh, who came up to say just that. To those guys who stopped by, thanks for doing so, and don't be offended if we're trying to have our 200th all over again. It'll be fun to go to the Blogger Awards tomorrow night as well. Uh, the European Blogger Awards are the uh, Wednesday here in London, so 
it'll be nice to see a lot of our journalist friends and fellow podcasters and bloggers at that event. I'm just enjoying the tenterhooks. At least we won't be losing to unconventional truth by John McAfee. That's part of the conference, isn't it? Yeah, it is sponsored by InfoSec. I, I, I'm trying to decide if out of morbid curiosity I want to attend or... You can't. It clashes oh. with the Blogger Awards. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, well. I was just thinking, what is the definition of unconventional truth? It sounds like the words complete fabrication would fit that definition <laughs> quite well. Well, yeah, it seems like applying any kind of a modifier to truth ends up with something that uh, wouldn't be the truth. Yes. So one thing that... Uh, there's a lot of this year, which sort of went into a bit of hiatus at security shows recently, is cryptography. As you were mentioning maturity earlier, it seems that we've got to the point that it's no longer considered exceptional to encrypt things, and people are accepting it as something that you ought to do even if you think you have nothing to hide. So it looks as though we've got that argument out of the way. Yeah, I think that the challenge now is that everyone is claiming that your communications are protected when using our product. But a lot of these so-called solutions are knitting their own ways of going about it, going, yeah, well, you know, if you don't trust AES because you think maybe the NSA is all up in your business, we're not using AES. We came up with something even better. And uh, there's been a few products I've seen on Kickstarter. There's been a few products I've seen being promoted at some of these events going, yeah, don't, don't worry, wavy hand, wavy hand. We protect your data. And that makes me rather uncomfortable because knowing that it takes sometimes upwards of 10 years for cryptographic experts to argue over standards because of the complexity involved in coming up with a modern cipher. I don't trust that anybody can do it in their garage. I don't think they can. And I don't know why anyone would want to when there are well-known open standards that have been scrutinized. True, if they have a fault, then we may all fall at once. But they're much less likely to have a fault that nobody's realized yet. And I gave a talk today on the stand about the history of cryptography and just looking at the ways that cryptographic algorithms get broken. As we've seen with the bugs that we've talked about before, like Freak and Logjam, where we're stuck with export ciphers from 20 years ago, when something becomes a cryptographic hot potato, the best thing to do is to drop it. Don't keep holding it thinking, oh, well, she'll be right for another few years, because there's almost always a replacement available immediately. And the sooner you embrace it, and the sooner you stop other people connecting to you or using older ciphers, the better for everybody. I've been encouraged by moves by Mozilla and Google and others to start deprecating things a little earlier, forcing the browser. I mean, I've got three devices I own at home now that are arguably, um, I guess, Internet of Things things that I cannot manage from Firefox because Firefox goes, nope, not doing those ciphers, sorry. <laughs> Well, I'm interested to note that in my part of the world, I, I haven't done any war biking or war walking in, in the systematic way like you have. But I have been keeping my eye open whenever I get a list of access points to look for web. And i be honest, I hardly ever see it. And I think that one of the reasons is increasingly, if you've got a mobile device, it just isn't there as an option. So somebody who's got web is finding people coming up and complaining, oh, I can't connect. So they've just shifted. And so sometimes taking a little bit of pain has a great benefit for everybody. Yeah, but it only takes one vendor making a bad decision to kind of gum up the whole works back to WEP. I mean, almost everyone I know that I've seen have WEP on their networks at home. It's You're because... going to say Nintendo DS yes. Lite, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, who's going to tell the kids, no, you can't play? Now, uh, Fraser Howard from Sophos Labs in, uh, here in the UK was doing talk on the stand today. That was a great tool. Yeah, but the Very WEP, track, right? 
Fraser does a lot of our research, especially focused on things like exploit kits, which is one of the main ways we know that you know uh, workstations fall victim to malware. Uh, any particular insights from his talk that uh, you'd like to share with the podcast audience? I think there are two things from a chat I was having to Fraser this morning, actually, in the hotel before we came to the show. Uh, one is that around about 85% of the actual malware, uh, malicious stuff, exploit kits, and actual malware that we find is compromised sites. So the vast majority are actually sites that even a well-informed, switched-on user couldn't detect by just thinking hard about the URL. Legitimate sites that have been made bad. And apparently the anti-phishing working group is backing up that figure in respect of spam, the links in spam. Their figures are saying that 75% of the spam links they've categorized and worked on are also hosted on compromised sites. So it's actually a very small minority of sites that the crooks are running themselves. So A, that makes it a much more of a moving target. And B, it means that we're paying for their bandwidth. Yeah, that was something I saw in my research as well when I looked at Linux malware and uh, a few of the large hosting providers having large numbers of compromised URLs in the data set going, wow, so hosting providers A, B, and C who happen to be the market leaders are also funding all of the bandwidth on their CDN to distribute malware. I think most Linux guys are over the idea that Linux can't get malware, but they're not over the idea that they don't really need the sort of protection that other operating systems now pretty much require. Of course, the primary role that Linux plays in the marketplace these days is hosting the vast majority of infrastructure out there. And while Linux only represents about 65% of the websites on the internet, it represents 80% of the infected websites on the internet. So you can see that there's a, a slant in favor of compromising Linux boxes over others. And my theory is certainly that it's because they're undefended. If there's nobody there watching for you, you gain persistence, you stay there much longer, and you can cause much more damage and nobody's looking. I think some of the stuff we're doing with tools like Docker and all these containerization solutions can, can go either way, right? They're either gonna create an even bigger disaster because we have security wrong, we build it once wrong, and then we copy it a thousand times, or we can wise up and go, actually, this is an opportunity to harden, do the really hard stuff once, and then just duplicate it out and have proper defense everywhere as you roll it out. So the bottom line is, don't let the penguins attack. <laughs> yes, do not let the penguins attack. And on that note, we'll conclude Sofa Security Chat Chat number 201. As always, for all the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. All of our podcasts are available on iTunes via RSS, on the TuneIn app, and anywhere else you find fine podcasts like ours. And until next time, stay secure.